there's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC by Pilot House. Hello and welcome to the D2C podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Dick, along with co-host Kyle Guilfoyle. And today we are super lucky to have the brain trust behind the Diamond Hook Media Empire. Uh, We're going to be talking mainly about logistics, 3PL, uh, and about the uh, the company Hook Logistics. Today we are super lucky to have Fraser Kinsley, the CEO of Hook Logistics, as well as Jacob Sussman, uh, who is the head of marketing. Uh, They've been awesome to come on as a sponsor of the newsletter. Their content has been absolutely amazing. And I'm really excited to dive into this side of the business. Uh, I've always been in the information side, uh, on the ad side, when it comes to e-commerce, the information side doing this. But I I actually haven't uh, sold a lot of e-commerce products through. So I'm really excited to talk with people that have deep expertise in this specific area. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, Fraser? Well, thanks for having us on. I really appreciate it. Pumped to be here. Nice. We always like to start with like a quick hit question. What What would you say is your specific zone of genius? It's tough to say. I'd say I'm a maybe master of all. Uh, excuse me, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I think as far as kind of my niche goes, um, definitely in the direct to consumer markets. Uh, started out my kind of got my feet wet with uh, investing actually on the CPG side. So I'm actually investing in a few brands, um, a couple of which I think have actually been featured in the newsletter. So that's kind of how I got involved there and kind of pivoted over to logistics um, on this side, just developing pain points with uh, various founders. So um, stepping from my procurement background, t- dovetailed that together with my uh, experience with founders in the CPG space. And uh, we launched logistics just as a solution for founders um, one that's more geared towards uh, the pain points they have and less on just the uh, straight operational side. And was this- Awesome, awesome. Go ahead. I was just just gonna say, was like, what experience, you talked about pain points. We always like to focus in on those. Uh, And and were you experiencing these pain points on the other, you know, like talk a little bit about that journey, about what you realized needed to change in the space. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think especially in the CPG space, and especially if you're a VC-backed company, there's there's always this want to develop an operating plan that has accurate numbers in it as far as your top and bottom line revenue goes. And a big piece of that um, for your cost could sell and operating costs uh, are logistics and fulfillment costs. And oddly enough, it seems that the biggest piece in the direct consumer market is actually the most opaque. Um, so we, we sought out to deliver uh a product that was really geared towards uh, the operators of these various uh, CPG direct-to-consumer brands. And in doing so, uh, we're able to save them tons of money, but also tons of time in terms of their forecasting and um, the actual money they were spending on getting their products delivered to their customers. Very cool. And and, and is that just basically because, you, you know, things have changed so much. The e-commerce game with the barriers, you know, the barriers are getting lower all the time, but these systems that we've built on top of are sort of legacy systems in a way, right? They were built for a different kind of commerce. Uh, and I'm wondering like, can you give me an example of, of something that, that Hook Logistics solves that is sort of a pain in the ass for a lot of people? Yes, yeah, so I, I think it really actually, it's, it starts out fundamentally from an operations perspective, right? So if you bring on the right team and you have the right people and you have the right experience, that makes everything infinitely easier. Um, I often say that 
a lot of times the fundamentals in fulfillment are overlooked. And a lot of times people rely on the tech stacks and the offerings that are out there, which for, for all intents and purposes are excellent. Um, but we really wanted to return to the fundamentals of fulfillment, return to the fundamentals of pricing, what it actually costs to model out, you know, um, a company's e-commerce fulfillment, for instance. So that's that's definitely a way that we, we really started there. And then also just being brand adjacent. So we wanted to be approachable. Uh, we wanted to brand ourselves like our um, brand adjacent direct-to-consumer customers are, um, have excellent brand, have excellent marketing, and be super approachable, and also just be super transparent. Um, you know, the, the base of the idea of direct-to-consumer is that you know, you're, you're kind of that middleman and you're you're really delivering your products directly from the, the manufacturer, directly from the producer themselves. And we want to be a part of that and really offer that transparency through and through. Um, and I think a lot, like to, to your point, a lot of the legacy systems don't actually encompass that. And that's kind of where the, the disconnect occurs. So we, we really wanted to bridge that gap there and again, dovetail with the industries we're working in. So it's, yeah, it sounds very cool. And, um, you know, Eric and I are, we're kind of media buyers at heart. Uh, so, so we're always thinking about ways to, you know, optimize performance. And, um, and I imagine there are tons of pockets of opportunity in, in, um, you know, fulfillment services. And, and I'm wondering if you, if you could talk to us a bit about, um, where you see those pockets of opportunity for, uh, for DTC brands to optimize their performance, uh, using, you know, a service like hook logistics, for example. Definitely. Um, so I think a lot of times the three pill offerings that are out there, uh, a big part of the marketing piece is actually offering a lot of different warehouses in a ton of different locations. And while it seems great on the surface to say, wow, you know, we have 30 different warehouse locations out there at the United States, it seems like the reach is very far. In reality, it actually just is very redundant. Um, the way the logistics spheres work now, especially for uh, what I would call small parcels, so UPS, FedEx, USPS, those zones are actually created and optimized within the carriers themselves. So there's actually no need to have really more than three or four warehouses nationwide. Um, and again, going off those redundancies, if you kind of fall back to, again, like what's an optimized supply chain look like? We found that a happy medium is in that three or four warehouse range. So we say to customers, you know, do you know what you're paying for? They say, oh, this is our pick and pack fee. In reality, their products really only live in about, again, three or four warehouses. So it's the customer that's actually paying for those excess, you know, 20 to 25 from the warehouse and it's just baking to the cost. So in operating a super lean operation, we're actually able to pass on all of those savings to our customers in the form of a smaller pick and pack fee. Huge. Uh, and that can mean when people are doing massive scales, like you're talking serious savings on their business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we can save you if, in as little as one shipment. Uh, but again, it, it's just the the law of large numbers. You know, the, the more you go up, the more we're willing to scale up with you and the more we can obviously uh, cater to your needs. And again, it just, it, it more goes back to the, the the manpower and the fundamentals you have within your warehouse system. And obviously technology is a great piece there, but we really don't want to have a huge physical footprint um, like a lot of the other uh, companies that are in our space do. So you mentioned, you know, you're, you're innovating on the physical side of things in terms of just creating optimized systems for the, you know, the new reality of e-commerce. Uh, can you give me an example of some of the ways you're innovating on the reporting side as well, where you're solving headaches for, for the, cause it's, it's funny, my, my wife works for a, uh, a gallery and she is constantly trying to reconcile different uh, systems and pulling, you know, results into legacy things. I, I'm curious on the reporting side of things, ways that you guys innovate as well. Definitely. Yeah. So first and foremost, it was, it was really, really important to us to know that we integrate directly with all of the e-commerce platforms that our customer use, customers use. Obviously the lion's share goes to Shopify, but we didn't want to just limit it there. So we integrate with 
I think it's over a hundred plus different e-commerce platforms at this point. So if someone finds an e-commerce platform we don't integrate with, please let us know. We're, <laughs> we're happy to uh, share open API with that. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we were fully integrated with most, if not all of the major providers. Um, so that was the first step. And the second step is to your point about reporting. Uh, we want to work in tandem with Shopify and actually, like I said, lessen up on the redundancies there and just offer uh, further insights into things such as, um, you know, do you have a lot of products that um, has an expiry date that has passed or are these products that came in last year that still haven't sold yet? So things that Shopify not, might not be able to tell you in terms of sales velocity and um, order volume and all that stuff, but more on the actual inventory management side, it says, okay, well, like these SKUs have actually been here for a while. Maybe we should actually cut back on production on this. So it really goes from the top of the funnel back all the way to the bottom at the base level of the manufacturing, which again, really helps in the reporting side to, to cut costs there and also allow for super, super efficient processes um, as far as production goes. Um, and then lastly, on, on the on the financial side, offering a, a single transparent rate um, gives our customers the ability to say, wow, this is a single line item on our balance sheet that is just a matter of our cost of goods sold. It's not a pick and pack fee, a return fee, an intake fee, a re-inventorying fee, none of that stuff. So we have one single fee. It's so much easier to model out, you know, one, two, six, 12 months down the line, because you're not having to worry about, you know, a dozen to two dozen different line items. And are those those dependent on the vendor as well? Like, are they harder to predict as to how people charge and, and do different people do different things as well? Uh, are, you, are you saying on the on the customer side or on like the other 3PL side? On the other 3PL side. Yeah, so that's actually a lot of the experience we had. Um, and this is kind of backtracking to the origin of this whole thing. Um, during, during the COVID pandemic, one of our other sister companies um, was actually very involved in government and private sector procurement for PPE um, and relied heavily on 3PL services. And we would get bills from them. It would be like, what are we actually paying for? And when we baked, that, baked it down, we actually inquired about it. It was a whole litany of different things that started from the actual plug-in to whatever e-commerce platform we were using to inventory, to intake, to outbound, to returns, to excess item pick fees. So it really ended up adding up to, I think it was about 18 to 20 different line items. Um, and the way we just look at it is just, it's, it's not really necessary. And if you have that optimized system in place, there's no need to actually charge all of those different line items. I think that's something people that will resonate with people quite a bit. Um, I wanted to just backtrack. I have questions I have about this side of things, but I just wanted to ask uh, Jacob for a second. Uh, it's been great working with you on uh, on the content that you're putting into the newsletter on a weekly basis. Uh, and uh, you mentioned, Frieser mentioned something earlier uh, before, and it's something I've actually noticed about your brand is that it's very approachable. And I wanted to know, you know, from the marketing mm -hmm. side of things, we have a lot of different uh, you know, brands out there and everyone would like, not everyone, I guess it's not, not for everyone, but, but a lot of brands would love to, to feel approachable. I wonder if you had any insight in how you've gone about creating an approachable brand. Yeah, no, it's funny. Uh, I, I think it's great. You picked up on approachable as, you know, the key word, because that's really what stuck out to me about the brand uh, recently as well. Um, so there was a kind of a turning point in how I thought about the Hook Logistics brand. Um, did you read that great piece in Bloomberg called Welcome to Your Bland New World? It was kind of like roasting D2C culture. Um, yeah, and it, that that's like a, a great article in general. You know, whether you agree with its critique or not, or, you know, whatever your take is on, you know, the kind of homogenized D2C aesthetic. Um, 
the, I think I loved how it really dug into like the brand voice, you know, that's behind a lot of these brands. And, you know, even if you're tired of pastels, you know, even if you think like too many of these brands have like first names like Oscar, Judy, whatever, um, there's, there is this like, you know, casual warmth and personability, um, you know, that's become really common in consumer branding. And if, then if you look at the th 3PL market or the logistics market in general, it's kind of the total opposite. You know, these are like older industrial brands, um, not at all, they don't feel like humans, you know, they feel like massive corporations or, you know, like a, you know, warehouse, like, like literally the personality of warehouse. And from day one with Hook Logistics, we knew we wanted this brand to fit into the D2C world, you know, to appeal to like modern e-commerce brands. And I think we have um, kind of realized a mirroring effect with it to a bit where like when you land on the Hook Logistics site, it feels actually closer to a consumer D2C brand, um, you know, than the standard industrial 3PL website. Uh, and I think that's really been resonating with um, e-commerce customers in particular. Um, part of that is the style of the illustrations we use. Um, it's very like delicate, almost um, feminine, you know, style. You know, again, contrasting a more masculine, bro-y, um, 3PL aesthetic. And the copy, um, you know, I, I, we spend a lot of time on the brand voice and it's all written from like a place of like warmth, empathy, empathy. it's lighthearted, playful. Um, you know, we, you know, we speak to our customers like, you know, we get them, you know, we understand your frustrations with the 3PL market and we just want to be, you know, straight up with you, but also joke a little along the way. Uh, and that's carried it well into the content. You know, we're putting up blog posts that try to make fulfillment and, you know, e-commerce tactics in general as accessible as possible um, to anyone so that, you know, if you just end up on our site, you can leave with the skill set you need to set up an e-commerce operation. Um, and yeah, we think uh, that spirit, you know, you know, Fraser uh, carries it forward in his sales and our warehouse team carries it forward in their dedication, you know, to providing outstanding fulfillment too. Well, that's awesome. I, and um, I think that, uh, I think an often overlooked piece of a brand is, is the brand voice and, and, and you guys seem to have nailed it. So I'm wondering if you have any insight on how you guys developed it. Did you go through a process or was it just kind of like, you know, you, or did you in fact just happen upon it? Like how, how did, how did you guys nail it so, so well? Mm. Uh, you know, it's funny, I, I saw a uh, post on LinkedIn uh, by Nick Sharma, you know, of course, if you're in D2C, you know him, uh, and it really nailed um, what I've found to be the most effective approach for copywriting is just <laughs> read it out loud over and over until it sounds great to you. Um, yeah, Diamond took, uh, you know, I've gotten to develop brand voices for, you know, Squatty Potty, um, Holistic Wellness, you know, as well as like our internal companies. And um, it's always just been, yeah, like really sitting down with a pen and paper and, you know, yeah, yeah, a brand identity workshop helps. You know, I love, you know, parsing out like personality traits and attributes that, you know, you associate with a brand. But at the end of the day, um, you know, wordsmithing is often just like a lot of time, you know, with, with the language. And totally. sometimes it's going to come um, best from the, you know, from the founders, from you. This is it's something we've just found. We've just brought on a new writer and she, we, we, you know, in this last newsletter, she, she wrote a good chunk of, of what we put out there. And, and I, I think back to the brand brief that we created about how we wanted our voice to sound and she's nailed it. Like, and she, you know, she's someone who will go over the podcast and pull out all the, the value bombs and things like that, but really it just comes from setting the tone, knowing how you want it to sound. I was just thinking this morning though, how well her tone sounds exactly like the, the the brief that we sort of gave her um so mm. a lot of it's set top down i guess very cool yeah, nice well, no, for sure yeah we have um, three I, I, 
Yeah, good old three way. Uh, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to take it take it um, a step higher, and because because Hook Logistics is just one one part of your your family of companies, and um, so we'd love to hear the Coles Notes version of uh, you know how you guys came together, and um, a bit about uh, the other portfolio or your overall portfolio, and uh, and what you guys would like to to turn it into. What would you like it to become? No, great question. Uh, you know, it actually precedes uh, both me and Fraser and that, you know, this company was founded, uh, you know, by Michael Tucker and Seal Van Hahn uh, in 2017 as a Diamond Tuck, the agency. Um, you know, I got to join uh, just over a year ago as the agency's creative director. Uh, and as recently as, you know, January 2020, um, that was our uh, focus, you know, as a company was, you know, providing, you know, quality marketing and branding services, um, you know, often in the D2C space, but also a lot of like B2B, you know, professional services firms too. Um, Everything changed when COVID hit. We had uh, coincidentally started to expand into import-export, um, just as uh, you know, PPE shortages started to become like you know a serious problem, you know, both in America and uh, you know across the world in general. And uh, thankfully, through uh, you know CLRCOs, you know, strong import-export connections, um, we were able to move into like you know large wholesale, um, you know, contracts, you know, with major companies, uh, and that allowed us to found the second company of the portfolio, Sussman and Han. Um, you know, which uh, in the past year has done, you know, um, large, uh, you know, in large wholesale PPE deals, as well as a uh, manufacturing contract with Squatty Potty. Um, and in the process of, you know, to kind of bootstrapping this new import export business, um, we learned how to do fulfillment extremely efficiently. And um, we realized it was going really well, you know, even when it wasn't a formalized service that we were offering to anyone else. And that kind of organically led to uh, the idea to found logistics and kind of complete this portfolio of companies that all revolve around e-commerce. Um, and in terms of like long-term objective, I think it really is that the idea of this like one-stop shop, you can come in, you know, you can meet any of the companies and, you know, maybe you just start out with like small branding project, or, you know, maybe we handle your fulfillment as you're like setting up your company, but whatever service you need within the e-commerce space, you can just go to the other companies in the portfolio and they can, you know, we can effectively like found brands um, purely internally. And we're actually, uh, you know, exploring that right now, you know, with a potential D2C play. That's what it. does it what does it take to um to do all of those things uh well and effectively um like i'm just because in, in my own mind i think holy crap you know you have all these companies all these areas of expertise um i'm just curious of the the makeup of people and uh and talent and and yeah if you could just speak, speak briefly about what it what it takes to to make that happen i'd really appreciate that we're big believers that, uh, you know, a couple of key people, um, you know, can really turn an operation into something meaningful. Um, you know, yeah, Frazier and uh, Ray, the uh, one of the other principals on Hulk Logistics have done like an incredible job at, you know, whipping up this um, unprecedentedly inefficient operation. And, you know, I think that just shows like if you make the right hires, um, yeah, a, a new company can be one of the most competitive uh, players in the space in, in a short timeline. It fits exactly with, you know, a, a theme of, of that we're talking about all the time these days of who, not how. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you have to try to think about how to do something, uh, it's a lot more challenging. But if you can think about who already knows how to do all this and can and, and then find a way to bring them in, it's just a really powerful way to do it. And it seems like that's the way, yeah, you guys have grown the, this portfolio of companies bringing in. And, and like, you know, you're, you're sort of autonomous, Fraser, as the CEO, you know, you, you have a board that you report to, but this is this is your show. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, all of us describe either consciously or subconsciously to, to, to Murphy's law that, you know, what can go wrong will go wrong. And I think that if you have the right 
people in place that have the know-how, but that also are just willing to pivot and make moves um, as, as the market demands. You're, you'll always be in a place where you can help people uh, who, who need different services. And I think that's really what we've gone back to time and again um, with, with each of the portfolio companies is, is just stay agile and, and always say, always say, how can I help as opposed to, I don't know how to do this. Um, and again, it, it goes back to, it starts with having expertise, but also just goes back to being able to be agile and, and stay with the market. And solve your own problems. Okay, your whole company is, is exactly. sort of built out of solving your own problems and, and then systematizing it, which is, it's sort of like, a, it's a wayfinder as you build a company that if it's able to spit off other valuable companies, then you know you're in a, in a solid pursuit. So you guys have obviously a breadth of experience, um, and like you you mentioned, we're you know we're obviously in a bit of a new reality here, um, and we'd love to hear about what what the biggest lesson uh, or takeaways you've learned in the last you know six to nine months uh, in the DDC space. Um, yeah, I, I guess I could take that one. I, I think that the biggest thing I've learned is that there's always a need for direct to consumer. Um, I, I think it, it, and COVID really was actually the accelerator for that. And I, and I think there's, there's always a silver lining to everything, right? So, and I think if there's a silver lining to this, this whole kind of pandemic and how the past couple of months have gone, it's that this change was more or less imminent. Um, this, this pivot to using DoorDash, to using Caviar, um, to rely heavily on e-commerce. I think these changes were all coming. I just think that they were accelerated, you know, 10 or 20x due to the COVID pandemic. And I, I think it showed that there's always room for direct-to-consumer. And it doesn't have to be in these quintessential direct-to-consumer space. It doesn't need to be in skincare. It doesn't need to necessarily be, um, you know, in, in CPG as a whole. It could really be anything. And I, and I think you're seeing that now with, um, I saw a couple of direct-to-consumer brands for, uh, I think, like pregnancy tests. Um, we carry a brand that does um, luxury diaper bags. So I, I think that there's, there's really this all-encompassing theme of direct-to-consumer will always have a place and it'll have even, an even bigger spot in our world um, in, in the future. Very cool. Uh, any, any from you there, Jacob? Yeah, no. Um, I think something that, that's really been interesting this year is you're seeing uh, digital communities play an important role in like brand building. Um, you know, of course, yeah, people have been talking about the role of like, you know, content and publications in D2C for a long time, you know, starting with Glossier. Um, you know, to like, you know, every brand that, you know, has a media strategy, but um, yeah, I think it's like moved a bit beyond content, you know, to actually like helping facilitating like connections and, you know, creating spaces for like people to hang out and like feel like they're a part of a, something bigger than themselves. Um, we're also, we've always been big advocates of, uh, you know, bootstrapping, you know, uh, Diamond Duck was initially um, founded with some outside funding, but, you know, never VC funding. And I think, you know, in this uh, climate, we're seeing a lot of you know, brands start to be a bit uh, more careful with their budgets, um, you know, and really, you know, think carefully about the financial decisions that they're making rather than just like pursuing growth aggressively at all costs. Um, nice. Yeah, I think that those are those are great pieces. Uh, you know, everyone, I don't know if you saw, did you guys see the, the video that was released two weeks ago? I don't even know if it was real at this point. You don't know if it is, but it's of a giant Amazon blimp. And it's uh, just dropping all the drones out as they as they go and, and, and make their last mile deliveries, essentially. Like, I, I, I wondered if you guys could muse a little bit on the future of this space and, and where you see this kind of like accelerating to in the next in the next six to nine months, which, will you know, I think we've hit this. I think you're absolutely right. We've had 10 years of e-commerce growth in the last uh, you know six months. And it's I think it's it's going to continue at this pace kind of going forward. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on the future of this space. Um, yeah, so I, I think in the next six to nine months, um, I think one thing you'll see a lot more, uh, and, and one brand does really well, 
um, Net-a-Porte, it's, it's definitely in New York City, I'm not sure if it's elsewhere, but um, they offer same day delivery with their own vehicles. And I really think that um, those type of services are referred to as like van expediting services are becoming increasingly popular for same day delivery. Um, and it's not just gonna be for perishables. Like, you know, I think Amazon's done a great job with Whole Foods. And again, you go back to like Fresh Direct and Instacart. I think those same trends are gonna come into EDE comp space in general. And um, I, I think that shipping speed is gonna become increasingly important. Um, I think Prime really set the tone for that. Um, I mean, two day, two day free shipping, um, even five years ago would, would be a, a crazy thought. So I, I think that the, the idea that you can offer free, uh, or I should say same day delivery and then move to free same day delivery um, in, in some major cities and even some outlying cities, I, I think is definitely not out of the, definitely not out of the question. Cool. Awesome. You, and I, I gotta, I gotta get, oh. we got Jacob on the call too. I gotta, I gotta know if Jacob has any uh, predictions for the future. Did you guys see that, the drone video that I was talking about? No, no, I would love to see it though. Um, I'll have to link it. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah. No, no. But yeah. Fraser, that's a great point about, you know, the, uh, yeah, the standard that Amazon has helped set with Prime, um, and now that Walmart Plus is on the market, I think we're going to really see a kind of bifurcation where, um, you know, if you're a staple, you know, if you're a product that people like want to use consistently, you really have to consider how you're going to compete with, um, you know, these like massive whales, you know, that can get products to customers in just one day and like a standalone D2C brand, unless you're, you know, like, you know, top 0.1% luxury product, you'll never be able to provide, you know, that standard of fulfillment. Um, so how are you going to stand out? You know, is your product going to be like way more interesting? Are you going to have a brand that like people connect with on a deep level? And what we talked about with communities, what we talked about, you know, like innovative distribution strategies, you know, these are all like much more important than they were, you know, just like before Walmart plus launched it. Back when you could just launch a bland and, uh, yeah. and ha have it take the world by storm. I think, yeah, we're really seeing the evolution of the space, uh, rapid and, evolution. And and um, could you guys just talk a bit about like what, what are those, the major competitive advantages um, that, that an e-commerce brand uh, would, would have from working with, you know, you as opposed to just Amazon? Yeah. So as far as Amazon goes, I, I think, and I, I saw a great article about this, um, Amazon is, is a great tool and it's a great avenue to pursue as far as e-com fulfillment goes, but it's definitely not the be all end all. And, and I think that making that distinction as using Amazon as more of a sales channel as opposed to a fulfillment partner is, is actually a really interesting distinction to make because I, I think that moving forward, you'll see that um, increased reliance on Amazon. Actually, again, it goes back to, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big bottom line type person. So I think it goes back to the bottom line and. I know um, as far as Amazon fulfillment goes, it can get pretty pricey. And again, it, it's great for advertising, it's great for brand identity, it's great for brand presence. However, there, there's also this necessary, there's also this necessary part of, okay, what kind of organic um, sales are we actually deriving from our, our site or from our paid social? And it goes back to, okay, we need an actual 3PL to help with this. So that's that, that's really that the the space that we fill. Cool. Nice. Here's here's a question we like to ask uh, towards the end of the podcast. Here, if if you guys had a 50k business grant right now to apply to any part of the business within, let's let's say Hook Logistics, limit to Hook Logistics. What part? Where where would you put that money right now? Um, I think if we had a 50k grant, I would I would absolutely recapitalize in our existing infrastructure. Um, I'm always a big like you know clean up our side of the street first, and then we'll kind of move to the other side. Um, so I think if we had 50K on hand right now, we would definitely expand our internal um, New York-based operation um, as far as the physical footprint goes. I know I'm kind of, it, it may sound as if I'm contradicting what I said before as far as the physical footprint, but this would be 
literally within the New York space. Um, and then to just build off that, I mean, I think that going back to the, the fundamentals piece, I, I want to, our vision is to have a perfect, a perfect operation set in place here and then expand, create another perfect, perfect operation, expand, so on and so forth. Um, you know, Amazon started out selling books. They got really good at selling books and they started selling everything. So <laughs> that's kind of the, uh, the, the take we have on that is that we want to do something, one or two things really, really well, and then expand as opposed to doing four or five, six, seven things kind of well. And what's the secret? Like these operations, you know, this, these very physical warehouse operations, you've got people working there, uh, you know, on all ends of the pay scale. Like, how are you going about making a perfect experience? Like how, how what sort of attention to processes are you creating? Or like, I, I'm, I'm really interested in that. And I love that idea of creating a perfect experience, but the work that goes into that in terms of training and, and SOPs and all that must be insane. Yeah, it was actually funny. I was joking with my brother about this um, a couple of days ago, and you know, when I, when I was younger, I think uh, you know, I was kind of, uh, I, was, I was definitely very, uh, I was restless. I was, I was definitely, I was very active. I was all this and all that, and he just started joking around. He said, you know, Fraser's job now is to keep people organized, and you know, he was not that when he was five, six, or you know, seven years old. And it really goes back to setting a great foundation to start. Um, and that's why we, we, we love bringing on brands in the early stages because you start those good habits early. So a lot of that is uh, internal, but it's also external. So starting good fundamentals early for brands themselves, uh, making sure their SKUs are in order, making sure um, their, their supply chain is in order, making sure all the good habits are set forth um, from the brand themselves and carry those over into our own practices as well. Um, and, and part of that piece is evidently technology, but there's also, there, there's a lot of um, human capital involved. There's a lot of uh, manual pieces involved. And um, that really just goes back to, again, the, the, the know-how and the willingness to get the job done. Very cool. All right. So if we, people want to get in touch with you guys uh, about Hook Logistics, about Diamond Hook, about any of the operations, uh, they go to hooklogistics.com. Uh, anything, any special messages for people looking to, to engage you guys? Definitely. Um, so I think Jacob may have touched on it in the in the green room, so to speak. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is busy season coming up, and we're actually helping a lot of our current brands um, um, prep for the holidays. So now's a great time to get involved uh, with Hook Logistics, learn more about what we can offer, and um, you know allow us to be an asset to your team um, for not just the holidays, but moving forward. Nice, very good. I want to thank you guys for taking the time today. Uh, it was a lot of interesting stuff. Again, not an area of the business that I've experienced a lot. So it's always good to talk with some, some vets. Uh, thank you guys. And we will see you in the newsletter again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Cheers. Thanks guys.